Hi, my name is Margie Krakowski with uh, Jones Lang LaSalle and my co-chair Tony with Studley. Uh, we want to talk about some of our upcoming programs. Uh, next month in June, uh, Microsoft will be here to present their integrator model. And we do not have any lunch programs in July or August, so keep monitoring the website because we will be back in September for our annual Tales from the Trenches series. Um, uh, today's program is being podcast and posted to the Cornet website. If you have your MCR, you receive one continuing education credit for each luncheon you attend, and there's a sign-up sheet by Beth and the registration desk. Um, today, at the end of the program, we will have two surveys distributed, one electronic and one hard copy, so please, we encourage your feedback at the end of the program. And today's topic, lessons on managing change. Please welcome to the stage our distinguished speaker who will be leading this interactive workshop on change. And there are bios on each table for more information. Please welcome Dr. Jim Bon, with, uh, Principal with Proaxios. Thank you. I want to start off by saying I am not the villain from Iron Man. <laughs> Second thing, yeah, I know you got it there, right? Because he's Iron Man 3 now. The second thing I'd like to say is when anybody hears Bond, James Bond, they're very disappointed that I'm not Sean Connery. I'm not. I'd like to be, but I haven't mastered the Scottish accent. What I want to talk about today is a subject that, from what I understand from Martin and others, is very near and dear to your hearts. Uh, but to begin, I'm going to do something that I haven't done managing my own change right now, which is to, how do I do this? Where's the enter button? So let's start with this question about what type of smart device are you using? And hopefully that'll work and then I'll advance it to the next one. There you go. And we'll watch and see how this comes up on the screen. This is sort of our test check. We'll leave, leave that go. There we go. Can you see that in the back? All right, very good. Uh, the next question that we have up here is, are you going through some kind of change management program? Trick question here, change management program within the next 12 months. Some kind of change management program within the next 12 months. And we'll see what this yields. Seems to be changing along the way there. So you have a 25% yes. Going up a little bit, it's changing a little bit more now. So we'll watch and see how that changes as it goes along the way. And then here's the last question, if yes, what type of change? As this is coming through, I want you to get one primary concept before we go through all the rest of the detail. All management, all management is change management. If you have a leader in your organization that's taking something from point A to point B, they're managing change. And the reason I want to talk about that today is because a lot of people have created sort of a strange, esoteric, mystical science about change management to the point where many people are wary of it, including executives and they don't want to talk about the subject anymore. But anyone that moves something from point A to point B and does it well and then changes 
how the flow of something goes, or they increase revenue, or they improve margins, those kinds of things. They're managing change. If you're managing anything, you're managing change. If you're not managing change, you should be fired. It's that simple. If you're not moving something from one state to a better state, you should be fired. That's just the way I believe uh, things should be. So here we've got policy job changes, reorganizations, mergers and acquisitions. Um, those kinds of things, those are challenges as we go along the way. So we'll let that kind of roll up a little bit more. So what I want to start with is my first slide today. Many change management models that you'll get will be a book that's about 700 pages thick in an MBA course. Anybody familiar with what I'm talking about? Anybody seen that in an OD class? Organization development, organization science. I think a lot of the reasons that those things are done is because people want to make this more complicated than it is. However, Having said that, when you are managing change, these are the elements that you're managing. And if you think about what I said before, with all management being change management, you're managing individuals, you're managing groups, you're managing teams, you're managing relationships between teams, you're managing the levels of the organization. But the important point on this slide, and am I in your way over there? Can you see? Okay. The important point on this slide is the only academic phrase I'll use today at all is all change is mediated through individuals. All change is mediated through individuals. As executives, you can sit in a conference room, work hard on a strategy for 12 months, 18 months, but if those things, those concepts don't translate into the hearts and minds and hands and feet of individuals, you have not managed that change. That's what Edgar Schein told us a long time ago, and it's true. Uh, every one of those concepts and boxes up there are probably worth a session like this unto itself. I won't do that today, but I want you to see that's what it takes to manage change, moving from the individual level to the organizational context level. And so now I'd like to march into my five principles for managing change, helping people adapt. You can see that I've given you a handout on the table because I'd like you to be able to take something with you today that you can use this afternoon if necessary. This is after being in 50 of the Fortune 500, uh, working with companies in many parts of the world, 30 years of change management experience, and a lot of in-the-trenches work myself as a change leader. Instead of just being someone who told people about doing change, I actually did it, and we, my teams won a couple of different awards at my former company. And so these are the principles. From your perspective, what's the most important part of change? Here we go. Ready? This thing sounds like the deck of a really bad ship, you know? I feel like maybe Ahab or something like that. And let's see what kind of data shows up here. What's the most important change? Providing a clear vision. I'll talk about that. I'll talk about that a lot. There's a lot of literature and a lot of research that shows the critical importance of knowing where you're going. And if people don't understand it, if those individuals don't understand that, they'll continue to ask why no matter how many times you tell them if it's not clear. Other things, following through, really critical. Uh, training people, getting the message to everyone, ensuring managers help versus hinder, but providing the clear vision seems to be a standout at this point. I'm assuming for the technological people like Tony, this thing will continue to collect these along the way. Is that correct? Okay. All right, so here's my five principles. You don't need a 700-page book. This is collapsing 20 years of research and, again, my work out in the field into five very fundamental things. I start with the emotional part of human beings, which is something that's rarely talked about in the textbooks. 
but people are emotional beings. I'll talk about why that's important to start with. Then I talk about simplicity and why that's important because people can only manage so much data, although many sales presentations probably go well beyond what people can absorb in the time that we give them. I'll talk about follow-through, which is by far the most complex part of this because people get bored. They don't want to follow through. They want to go on to the next shiny object. Oh, look at that. Chandelier is really interesting to me. What do you guys think about that? Um, measuring for correction and celebration. And then finally, all change. The literature shows this in depth. All change builds or destroys trust. There's no in-between. There's a continuum. You're either building trust that will help people get excited about the next change that you bring on board, or you're destroying trust, which will cause them to erode and be afraid for the next time that you get ready to do something. And I see heads nodding up and down because you get it. So let's talk about reducing anxiety to increase adaptation. When you are going down a highway, and you know that highway very well, and you've gone through it a lot of the time, is it easy to drive down that highway? Anybody, just raise a hand. A thousand times, easy, it's tacit. You have a highway inside your brain that works that way too. The neural connections are working beautifully. You're not even thinking. And then what happens when you see an orange barrel? Anybody? This is a bashful Chicago crowd. I'd like to hear a little bit more, okay? Okay, you slam on the brakes. Okay, so there's this big rush of cortisol that comes through and you're, what is this? And I gotta get to this appointment. Before long, the anxiety is going up because you have to get some things done. This happens in change all the time. Reducing anxiety to increase adaptation is real simple. Brains are wired to not like novelty. They're energy producers and users. So when you bring on a new thing that's novel, it can cause a great deal of stress within the body. And so what do good managers do? You tell me, let's talk about this together as a team. What do good managers do to start to reduce anxiety so that people can adapt to this change? Anybody, we're in this together, anybody. Communicate, Communicate. what else do you do? Communication is such a broad topic. Give me some specific things. Listen, engage feedback, great, other things. Pardon me? I played rock and roll a long time, it's really hard, so. Anybody? Explain what's going on. The old Marvin Gaye song. Yeah, what's going on? You do that, right? You gotta do that. That's a big part of it. Anything else that you do, pardon me, listen, okay, great. Anticipate, anticipate. That's the old Carly Simon thing, right? I'm not gonna sing like she says. I like to try. And then leaders are always looking for ways to help your people adapt. This doesn't take a lot of hard work. All it takes is, I think, I look at Dan, I'm thinking, Dan's net desk is going to move from here to here. What's going to happen with Dan? Dan's going to come in the next day, he's going to go, whoa. It moved two feet. What happened? Aliens came to Earth. They moved my desk. So we wanted to say, no, Dan, it's okay. We just moved your desk a few feet because we had to put some uh, optic uh, fiber cable underneath the desk. Do you get the basic point here? Anybody can do this. We do this all the time. Good managers do this every day. Remember, all management is change management. Reduce anxiety to increase adaptation. The second one, simplify. How many of you as salespeople started out at 8 o'clock on a Monday morning someplace and watched PowerPoint slides, the interminable parade of PowerPoint slides, until 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and all you had was bread and water? How many? 
Oh, come on, you're lying. How many people have gone through that? And so by the end of the week, somebody walks up to you and they say, well, what did you think of our week? And you go, I don't know. Because there was so much information at one point in time. Psychologists and people who are educators will tell you, don't do that. Do what's called distributed practice. Tell people to come in for four hours, work them like dogs, and they're done. Let her rest. Let them collect their thoughts. Let them come back the next day. Work again. It's called distributed practice. When you have a change coming through your organization, you need to distribute that, help people out. How many of you have been in situations with IT systems where all of a sudden you had to watch screen after screen after screen until you said, I can't do this anymore? Anybody? Anybody have to go through that? This is really tough on people. And you know what? They're all smiling and they're saying, I want to keep my job. Please, whatever you do, don't ask me any questions. But they cannot remember which screen it was that required them, that required to bring up the latest vendor application. To get people to adopt the change, simplify. And leaders can do that by developing manageable learning sessions. Now, how am I doing for pace so far? Is this okay? Okay. All right. This one is the one that people fail on all the time. Somebody comes up with a new idea. Your name is? Danielle. Great name. Danielle says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to change the parking lot, right? Change the, you're going to work with me now. We're going to change the parking lot for all these people. She gets revved up. There is an ROI on the parking lot movement project that's fantastic. Everybody's in line. We've got a team built up. We've got 100 people that are going to move one parking lot to the other. And then what happens to Danielle? What, what's the next thing that you're going to do? It's okay. Pick, pick something. You don't know. Anybody, help her out. Anything. She's going grocery shopping. That's what she's going to do. She, that's what she's, she's going grocery shopping. What was that about the parking lot again? Okay, do you see what happened there? And before long, executives do this all the time. They get really excited about something and all of a sudden, what about that chandelier? I really like that chandelier. And what happens is because, because novelty is exciting and, and things that become more mundane or pedantic become boring, people do not defer to the boring. But follow-up is difficult. Now let me give you the example. I had uh, a bunch of teams that I did a best practice session with one time. And I followed nine of those teams every 30 days. And all we did was get their executive on the phone their boss, and a couple of other people. And I watched the difference in their performance versus other teams, and it was radically different. And the only drug they got was follow-up. That was it. Follow-up's hard because follow-up's boring. But if you do that, that's the way you build change into an organization. It's an important part. As my old boss used to say, follow-up or follow-up. Another thing to do is measurement for correction and for celebration. When you're in the middle of a big change project, I think you were talking about this last night, Martin, at, at dinner, the importance of measurement to find out what was happening. Martin said, we, we, we measured and measured, and all of a sudden we found this incredible drop off of a cliff. He had some feedback at that point that he could use. Measurement's really critical. It's also critical for celebration. In Midwest companies, by and large, we tend to be a little bit lean on recognition. In Midwest, this is my belief, and you can challenge me if you think I'm wrong, but in Midwest companies, we're kind of get the job done, Let's not talk a lot about you know, how great you did. The reality is, is that everybody needs recognition. They just do. And it doesn't mean that you have to have a fanfare and a big parade that comes by, but people need recognition. 
but powerful recognition comes in when you have good data behind it. And you can say, we were here, now we're here. Everybody knows that. Everybody in this room knows that. In a changed circumstance, you want to do the same kind of thing. Have some kind of metric that you can use, and it doesn't need to be 50 metrics, one or two things that prove that the change is starting to work. And what does that start to build within the company? Oh, this is really happening. It gets momentum going, and there's a whole psychological theory behind that. I won't go into today, but it's very valuable. Leaders understand the importance of that. The last one I'll mention to you is this, that all change builds or destroys trust. I want you to think of a time when someone came to you and said, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. They worked through that with you. They helped you. They coached you. And all of a sudden, you started to see the change. Five years later, that person came to you and said, will you help me again? What did you say to them? Well, sure. Be glad to help you out. Because you remember, they cared for you as an individual. It built their trust in the fact that you, you as a leader, were credible, that you would get things done. And then there was this other time where you worked with a leader who said, we're going to go do thus and such. And it did not work. And you remember that leader, the credibility of that leader. All of us have the, the means whereby we either build or destroy trust every day when we do a change. This is really important for your corporations because, as you know, the speed of change is just increasing at a rapid rate. So being part of something that continues to build trust is really, really important. So those are my five principles. What was the first one? Reduce anxiety. What's the second one? Okay. Keep it simple, stupid. Okay, Tony, thank you. I got the little, little Chicago twist there. I like that. Okay. Third one. Follow through. Okay. Fourth one. Measure. Fifth one. So don't ever buy another change management book. Just do those five things. Don't look for something novel. Go and do that. All right. Let me work through a couple of other things. During the kinds of changes you talk through, mergers and acquisitions, IT systems, policies, all those different things, if you look at this chart up here, what you can see is some of them you really have to work on a lot. You have to work on, when you're going to do a reorganization, whoa, the cortisol is just flowing through the company, right? Because people are afraid. A lot of heavy communication during that time frame. Another thing that's necessary uh, during like a relocation, that kind of thing, people are afraid. They don't know what's going to happen. Uh, they don't know what's going to happen to the basic things of their life. And I think we often forget that as leaders. I mean, you could be moving somebody from one location to another, and their whole life could be upset. It's not obvious up at 50,000 feet, but on the ground it may be. So this is just something for you to consider going forward. Okay, so what do you believe is your most important role in managing change? I'll let you go with that for just a minute. There's a lot of data being crunched out there. This is where we need the Stratocaster, Dan, right now. Yeah. Little Johnny be good. I could probably do that. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of, we could probably do like five-part harmony. That would be fun. So let's see what's coming up on the board. Staying the course, persistence, all right, setting the vision, staying the course. Let's see, persistence, persistence, setting a vision. So this will come up as bar graphs here shortly, I assume. We picked five for today. Okay. <laughs> All right. So a few things, and I'm assuming this data will be available to the rest of the, the team. Yes. Okay, thank you. Once I figure it out. Okay. <laughs> what Tony said was, yes, he's going to launch the space shuttle with this data. Okay. All right. So let's go on to the next segment of this. 
Three phases of change. I'm only going to talk about one of them today. There are three phases of change. One is just preparing for it. Just preparing your organization for change. I talked about individual change just a moment ago. Now we're talking about preparing your organization for change. There's also the element of actually managing the change and then sustaining the change. Every change has its own nuances and challenges. So you won't find this on your handout, but I want to talk this through as, as a group. Why do you want to change? What is that? Why do you want to change? I have a four-year-old granddaughter. Do you know what her favorite word is? Why? It was no when she was two. It's now it's why. Why, Papa? Why? And so somehow we think that just because somebody got bigger, they turned out to be five or six feet tall, they stop asking why. The, the, the reality is, and McKinsey and Company did a study on this a while back, the biggest value that you can bring to people in managing a change is to give them a good rationale. They want to know why. People don't necessarily have to agree with you. I mean, you may be doing something that's completely, I mean, Danielle's going to move this parking lot. You may not agree why that's happening, but at least you know the why. Well, we have to move it because there's a gas line below it. We have to move it because we're moving some property. Rationale is really important. So understanding the why. You can just write this down. Why are we doing this change? That may take you a couple of days to really understand. A second thing is, what is the impact of the change? What is the impact of the change? I'm not just talking about whether or not we're going to add a new IT system. I'm talking about thinking about your people, thinking about teams, thinking about your organization, taking the time to do that. And you'll find out that that's important for something I'm going to mention very specifically to IT changes, which is what I call ROI blindness. People think in terms of money, but they don't think in terms of the people impact and the impact of the organization. A second thing, a third thing, is what is the change? How clearly can you articulate that? Do you know what it is? Well, you know, I think we're going to move the parking lot. Well, it's got to be more than that. It needs to be a very, very clear-cut, articulated thing, because otherwise, has anybody here ever engaged in scope creep? <laughs> oh, boy, there, there it can. There's the energy. And I'll talk about that from an IT perspective in just a moment, but articulating what the change is and what the change isn't is really critical for your ultimate benefit in, in change. Another one is what I would call barrier analysis or what are the risks. I'm not talking about impact here. I'm talking about if I do this change, what are the things that I'm going to run into down the road? This could be some simple things, like I have to move some people and they may not like it. It could be really complicated things, like I have to completely gut an IT system and put a new one in and the risks that are involved with that could be financial transactions, they could be uh, liabilities, they could be FDA validation, a lot of different things. A simple tool that you can use for that is called barrier analysis. And I know that may sound academic, but real simple. Put up a piece of paper, white sheet of paper, grab yourself a water-based marker with a bunch of really trusted people in the room who represent your organization. It's what we call getting the whole organization into the room and ask them, well, really do that, staff person, tech people, I mean, people that are going to be affected by this and say, what barrier do you see that's going to be, that is going to be required to overcome to get this change done? And you'll be amazed at simple things that come up that can stonewall change and really hurt it along the way. So I'll stop and just check once again, how's my pace? I only drank one cup of coffee this morning, so I think I'm okay. Here's a big one. 
Who needs to know? Who needs to know? When most executives get ready to launch a change, in their minds, the change is gone. I press send, the email goes out, the PowerPoint is there, voila, the change has occurred. However, in many projects, there are a lot of people that need to know about this change that may be impacted down the road. Can anybody think of some of the people in your organization, and any answer is right. Some of the people, when you, when you launch a change, what are some of the people that need to be involved in the change? Anybody, any department? Human resources. Human resources. Administration. Administration. IT. Risk. Risk. Communications. Legal. Real estate. Cilantro? Sorry. Finance. Okay. I'm sorry. Like I said, I played rock and roll a long time. Other things. How about your, your facilities people? You might find out that some of your, your people that are working in managerial capacities in your facilities may need to be involved. Thought about that. Maybe people that are involved in transportation or sourcing. Maybe people that are involved in maintenance. When I was working on one team, we had 35 different groups come together once a month, and we walked down them one by one, and we said, here's the change, here's what's happening, do you understand where we're at? Because any one of those 35 groups, even the ones that were out on the periphery of the change, could say, you know what, that's not going to work for us. Now, that doesn't mean you stop your change, but it means that they're involved. Now, what happens when you involve people in anything? Anybody? What? It gets complicated. Yep, understood. Takes longer. What else? You get buy-in. Okay. So this is this tension between taking a little longer, complexity, and getting buy-in. At the end of the day, remember how is all change mediated through who? Individuals. Okay. So if you don't get that buy-in, that little bit of time you didn't take up front is going to become very costly down the road to the tune of maybe two or three times the cost, two or three times the amount of time to get the thing done. So checking, this is not hard to do. You take a spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet, not a real complicated device. Run down one column, all of the different stakeholders that are involved, and go through it again, and go through it again. And you'll be amazed how that will get increased. And then say, okay, what quarter, quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, who do I communicate to, and how do I help them understand what we're doing? And that'll start to build trust in your organization as well. All right. This thing really does sound like a, a battleship. Yeah. Is that coming through the podcast out there? No, no, that's okay. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, we're out here in the middle of the Atlantic, and the feeling is harvest, you scallywag. Okay. Gotta watch out. That ADD thing gets me too. So, who leads the change? Who leads the change? You're gonna say, well, I got a project manager. No, I'm talking about the person to whom anyone will turn and say, this person has the project. They may not know every answer. We talked about that last night. They may not know every answer, but they need to have someone so they can go, okay, I know that there's a stable point in this change. This is the person to whom we go to who's going to help us. When that person changes all the time, I can promise you your change will be really hard to implement. Who leads it? They don't need to know everything. They just need to have a really good team. And then who is the team? Many times, and especially on IT projects, I've seen this in the past, where someone will come in and say, well, so-and-so is available. What does that communicate to you? So-and-so is available. I see heads shaking. So-and-so is available. Let's put them on the team. Okay. Chicago Blackhawks. Big, big series right now. Some high school player is available. 
Let's get, I don't, does Chris Chelios still play for him? Okay, that tells you, I'm, I'm an Eddie Belfour fan. Oh, look at that, what a dinosaur that guy is, okay. Um, but do you understand what I'm saying? You can't take just anybody and drop them on the team, but organizations tend to do that, and when they do that, what happens with the team, anybody? Start having problems, it's a joke, there's breakdowns. Why did you put that guy on the team? And before long, people don't take the change very seriously. The team is really, really critical. Here's the biggest one. What do you think I mean by philosopher kings and queens? Anybody? Pardon me? Who sets tradition? Vision. Keep, keep going. Who makes decisions? Beautiful. And, and your name, sir? Rick. Thank you, Rick. Rick said all leaders are not managers. Is there somebody in your organization obscured away in some cubby hole who's been there for 500 years? Now, I'm exaggerating. But someone who's had a track record of impeccable achievements again and again and again, they don't want to be VP, but they're really good at what they do. And you're about ready to do a change in your organization. This is a philosopher king. This is a philosopher queen that somebody's going to go through and say, what do you think about this change? Do you have people like that in your organization? They're out there. If you don't engage those people in your change project, even if they disagree with you, I promise you that when you're in a room with 500 people and you're ready to launch the change, in the back of the room, this person who's been in obscurity will all of a sudden start to raise their hand. And where will all the eyes in the room go? They'll all go, well, what do you think, Joe? And Joe said, well, we tried this in 1942 and it didn't work. <laughs> or Joe will say, that's eh, probably not a good idea for these reasons. And then what happens to all of the confidence that you've been trying to build on the team? This is so important. Because these people do have credibility. They are in your organization. You need to get their buy-in. Now, how do you do that? I generally would sit across with them one-on-one. -on -one. They can yell at me, scream at me, whatever is necessary. But by having their buy-in, then you know when you bring them into the room, somebody's going to turn to them and say, what do you think? Well, you know, this is going to be really tough, but I think we can do this. The whole organization will turn on that dime. Do you get what I mean? Because you've all had that happen to you. Maybe some of you are these philosopher kings and queens. Okay. Who's in charge of the details? This is the project manager that has the Gantt chart, knows every dime, every dollar, every hour. These are people, I love these people. They know what's going on. They can tell you exactly where they're at. Get a good one, and they can help you with their change. And then finally, who will support? The last thing that's important in good change management theory is this. When I'm on a phone with a customer, and I'm under pressure, and I can't answer a question because my new system's been put in place, what do I need to do? Where do I turn? Have you built that into your system so that I can say, can you hold one second? Dan, Dan. And Dan says, yeah, I got it. What, what do you need? I can't make this. Here's what you do. Yes, I can help you with that. If you don't have that in place, that feedback loop, that support loop, I promise you your change will have challenges because people, ready? People do not want to be incompetent. No one wants to be incompetent. Nobody comes into work saying, I want to be a loser today. They just don't. They, that's, they're there for their, their families and their lives. 
They want to make something out of what they've done. They don't want to get on the phone and say, you know what, I, I go home at night and I say, I failed 60 times today. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. But when we, when we do big changes, especially IT changes, that happens. So how am I doing on time, Margie? Okay. No, uh, Jim, we do have a couple of audience questions before you go on to that. Um, one question was, what do you think is the most common reason for change? And I'm assuming that means within any organization. And then uh, there was also a few people that would like to know what's the most difficult program you've ever implemented. So Let me take the what's the most common reason and what's the most difficult? Let me take the second one first. Of all the changes and all the joints and all the work, no, I'm just, uh, this is what happens. This is the Rolodex of my mind. Um, the hardest one that I ever did was to change uniforms for 5,000 people. I had a vice president walk past me in the hall and say, we need to standardize our uniforms. Please get that done. Okay. And there's a lot going up in my mind real fast. And I said, could we just wait a little bit? And uh, it turned out to be an extremely complicated change. Because when you walk into an organization and the uniforms are already there, you walk into McDonald's or whatever, people understand that they're going to wear a uniform. However, if you've been wearing whatever clothing for a long time, and you tell someone that they need to change their clothing, that is about as close and as personal as you're ever going to get in your life. And so we did funny things. We had dogs wearing shirts rolling around the dirt. We had, and I looked for the philosopher kings and queens. I said, where, what do you, where do you think the problems are gonna be? And we brought them into a team together. And there was a lot of grumble. I mean, these are powerful leaders. They've got a lot to say, but you know what? They told us where the problems would be. And then we had them talk to the field. We had them communicate to the field. Not me. They don't like corporate people. I get that. But they'll listen to their peers in the field. But that was, that was tough. That was really hard. There are a couple of other ones, but that one, I, I would consider that the hardest change I was ever involved in. I mean, exclusive of other big IT projects, policy changes, and things like that. Is that and what are the reasons for change in corporations? I mean, clearly, I think the people in this room would have more of an idea than that for me. I think the primary one is profitability. I really do believe it's profitability. Uh, organizations don't undergo big change except for you know, major profitability moves, especially with IT systems. Some of you other folks out there may have an idea about how to answer that question. Why do you think change, what are some of the reasons for change? Anybody? Improve business performance, okay, good. Other things? Culture? That's a really interesting word. A really interesting word, okay. Other things? Branding, okay, big one. Product, product movements, adding services, that kind of thing. But largely at the end of the day, you, if you're going to undergo a change, you're going to invest all that human pain and effort, it's going to be about profitability. I really believe that's true. Unless there's something like an FDA requirement that's completely outside of your domain that you just absolutely have to do, right? Some kind of a, a legal requirement from the government. Okay, all right, let's go to this. Let's go to see what, which of these changes poses the highest risk to your profitability. Did that answer your question, whoever that was? Yeah, we actually had dogs running around with shirts on, rolling in the dust. Showed people pictures of that. That was pretty funny. It kind of kept a, a light atmosphere. You got to do stuff like that. There we go. Move, relocation, IT systems, projects. Good. How am I doing on time, Margie? 15 minutes yet? Okay. Just cut me off when, I'm, when you're tired of listening to me. I'm okay with that. IT system projects, reorganizations, moves, relocations, policy, job changes. 
So we've got a, a pretty broad scope on this. All right, well, the IT systems and projects, I want to move into that now because I've got just a few minutes left. So here are 10 system implementation risks. I'm going to finish up your day talking about system implementation risks. Um, I call it straightforward guidance because that's what my company is about, to take all the complexity out of things and make it simple so we can get the job done. Why am I offering this to people? Well, I think there's some things that people won't just tell you, consultants won't tell you when they're doing a new IT project, and these are some of the things that I've learned along the way. Um, when you do an IT project in your company, all of you know this, you're smart people, the risks of touching your corporate DNA are very high. We all know that. Whether it's an HR, HRIS, Siebel, PeopleSoft, whatever it turns out to be, they're big. So let me go through these. Um, these are the list of risks, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to go down them uh, real quickly. ROI blindness. I really believe this happens, where the ROI is so compelling. You've taken a look at something. You take a look at the numbers. It looks great. It's a three-year payback. We get all the numbers from the finance people, and it's approved. There's a moment of blindness there. I really believe this, where you don't consider the human impact, the team impact, the organizational impact, those are parts of the ROI that you can't see. And so I'd say the first thing to look for is to step back, even if it's only for an hour, and say, okay, we, this looks really good. What did we miss? Is that fair? Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't take that much to do to say what, what departments are going to be impacted and so forth. But be brutally honest about the true human toll that's required. A second one is a lack of organizational preparedness. Are you really ready for this change? Have you built your organization? Have you prepared your organization, your managers, your leaders, your directors to get ready to do this change? Do you have the capacity for this change? All, very often, this is what happens with the change. We already have a ton of work going on, right? Everybody knows this. We have a ton of work going on. And guess what? Now we bring in the change. Same amount of people, and we've increased the amount of workload for them. There's a capacity issue there, at which point some people just say, I can't do this anymore. So that's something to consider. Using the B team and only the A team will do. I talked about that before. I've seen this happen. Um, I strongly recommend against that, especially if you're doing a massive system change. Get your best team. Get people that are going to stick with you through thick and thin all the way to the end of that project. And then when they're done, just reward the heck out of them. Just, this will sound strange, just, just love them because they have given everything they've got to make sure that that worked well. Just do that and do it well. Here's another one, denying the impact of a change. Um, I've seen situations where people felt like the organization would perform at exactly the same capacity as it always did after you introduced a change. Let me ask you a question. If you change a tire on your car while you're going down the highway, you think it's going to perform the same way as it did before? Well, of course not. There's Gartner research that shows that companies dip when they're offering a big IT system implementation. Factor that into your plan. It's not going to be the same spreadsheet that you built at the beginning of the year. These things take time and they take pressure. Something to consider. What's your plan on that? I talked about this a little bit, the wheels on the bus, managing things very quickly while you're going down the highway. Here's a big one, the Jimmy Hoffa syndrome. Does anybody know where Jimmy Hoffa's buried? Anybody? Okay. We're still looking for them, right? I will promise you that when you're in the middle of a big IT change, guess what? The body of Jimmy Hoffa will show up somewhere in the systems that you are going to relate to. Anybody seen this? Anybody? Raise your hand. 
All of a sudden, you're going down the road, and, and you find that somewhere in 1938, some guy with an abacus got together with somebody else that had this old Texas Instrument calculator, and they built this little patch where the data is flowing through. And do you know what? That's the gateway for everything that you're going to be doing. And you have to build this Siebel system to go and talk to this thing. Do you know how much money that stuff costs? Those things happen all the time. And with all due respect to, to Oracle people that are here today, sometimes we just don't know about that in advance. So um, it's just something to consider. Uncover those early in your projects, in your due diligence. And that doesn't take a lot of time, but just give a team a couple of days to say, what are we going to touch with this system? <clears throat> I get by with a little help from my friends. Um, there are a lot of unforeseen in individuals and teams that are going to be touched by this system. I mentioned that before. Take the time to figure out who they are. They can stop the project at the strangest times. I see heads moving up and down. It's not because they're malicious. It's because all of a sudden you're, you're shoving something into their warehouse that they, I, I can't do this this way. Find out who your friends are and uh, understand that the impact will matter to them. Ado Annie syndrome. Anybody know what this is about? I'm a girl who can't say no. That's from Oklahoma. Um, it was on Broadway a few years back when I was young. <laughs> scope is the big problem. This goes along with the Jimmy Hoffa syndrome. Scope happens. All of a sudden, what was this big? It, and it just, it's just shaking and breaking. And here's why. You get on a project, and people are excited about the project, and then this is what they say. You know, Martin, in 1923, I wanted to add this system in. Can we, could, could we do that? And Martin's kind of thinking about it a little bit. And, and then another person comes in and said, you know, as long as we're doing this, right? And have you ever been like on a housing construction project where you started out and it was going to cost this much money? You said, as long as we're doing this, right? Okay, now you're left. And as long as we're doing that and before long, what, what happens? Anybody? Anybody? You have two houses? Okay. You, you, you can't get the project done, you're out of money, and all the rest that goes with it because we did manage scope. Discipline is critical, but discipline's key to uh, getting things done. Here's another big one, doing technology before process. Making sure that your processes are really good before you write the technology to do them is critical because you don't want to automate a bad process. You already know that. I'm offering this to you. Whatever you do, do not automate a bad process. All you've done is increase the speed of inefficiency. And then the counting the cost, this biblical adage about, are you really willing to do this? Are you really going to go through? Are you really going to complete this project? And then I'll give you an 11th one, which is ignoring the details. This really hurts. When you don't have an agreement on what an issue is, when one team says this is an issue, and another team says this is an issue, has anybody ever been in that circumstance where you can't even agree on what an issue is in an IT circumstance, or you can't agree on what a rev level is, or you can't agree on what... Some of these things are, if you don't start at the beginning with those things, there's all kinds of complexity that can be developed down the road. This isn't uh, hard to come up with, but it's hard work. Now, these are things that I think most people would say, if, if we had done that a couple of times in some of our projects, we might be better off today. But this is hard stuff. This is boring work. It's just tedious. Sometimes it's, it's headache-inducing. So bring your Tylenol, bring your Advil to the, to, the, to the meeting, but get it done. So that you know that when I say issue, Martin says, I know what an issue is. Margie knows what an issue is. So that we're all on the same page, especially, especially in global projects. So important.
I offer plain spoken guidance to those who do the work. Thank you for your time. Okay. Let's uh, take a couple questions, Jim, if you don't mind. More questions? Yeah, you want. Uh, I'll take a couple more. I, I just didn't know if I used up all the time. No, not at all. We've got uh, a few minutes. If, if, uh, and raise your hand if you want the mic. But uh, we had a couple questions here I wanted to uh, ask you from the audience. Um, when do you see top-down versus bottom-up change, uh, you know, being more effective? Which, which may be more effective, top-down, bottom-up? Comments on that? I think the large, large top-down projects is probably the majority of projects. I think if people are going to invest, they're going to invest at an executive level. However, I have seen where you get a groundswell of some grassroots things that start to come together and and people can make a case for it, but they have to do all the ROI things and all the rest that goes with that. But I would say top-down is more the, the way they did, to do things. Because you need the executive support, right? I mean, you can't do this stuff without executive support. Uh, this question just popped in because you just, just touched on it, but uh, someone's asking, how do you measure organizational capacity for change? You know, how much is too much, you know, fatigue being an issue? How do I measure uh, organizational capacity for change? Yeah, is there a way to just go in and wave a wand over it and figure no. out how big that is? Uh, Tony says that he's in, invented a wand that will wave over your organization and develop organizational capacity for change. Uh, here's one of the things that I do. I like to do it kind of simple. I like to look at all the change initiatives that you have going on. It goes back to that old Marvin Gaye question. Do you have any idea how many change initiatives are going on in your companies right now? Probably not. I think no one really has a focus on that. So if you're going to do a big change, First thing to find out is that well, we have this going on and this going on and this going on and this going on and this going on, and then you find out that these really good people—they're all on these teams. Okay, <laughs> you're laughing because they're out there. They're all on these teams. You know, Joe is on this team and this team and this team, and then you start to find out. Real simple: the capacity. Can we do one more thing? Can we ask Joe for one more? Can he do that? So it's more of a simple kind of thing to look and say: Do you have the people? to manage yet another major initiative within your company, but first do an inventory of those initiatives. It's not hard, it's a piece of paper, but having good people in the room saying, well, we've got all these things going on, or you step back for a minute and say, whoa. So that would be a, a big one. I mean, there's other things that I could do, but I'd like to not talk so about So on that them. thought, what are the most critical points of focus for a smaller organization that has limited resources? The question is, what are the most limited, or the points of focus for a, a, a small organization that has limited resources? Crystallize that vision. Know exactly what that thing is that you're trying to accomplish. Get that why down to a science so the people in the shop floor can say, this is why we're doing it. And then along with that, have really good communication practice that's feeding back to people regularly. It's not that hard to do, but good communication practice. And I'd say the other thing, and especially in small organizations, this is hard to do, but get a good project manager. Take somebody off the line if you have to, but somebody that can follow through the details they can follow through on all these different things. They may not have the capacity to do that, but it will pay off in spades in the end. Having somebody that can work through that. Does that make sense? Anything else? Yes. Uh, what do you do if your um, philosophy kings and queens aren't on board, but you know, as a leader or manager, that change has to go through, but you don't have your philosophy? Every time I do this presentation, I get that question, so thank you for raising it. The question is, what do you do if your philosopher kings and queens aren't on board? At least you know. You have to know. You have to know and give them voice because remember, they have invested their lives in this place. This, you may have been there two years, three years. This is their identity. This is who they are. My father developed this drug. My grandfather developed this drug. I've been here since 1952. Don't tell me. I mean, this is big to them. This is 
serve their families and all that, at least you give them their day to voice their concerns. And so when they are in the room, at least you can turn to them and say, we did have the conversation, remember? It's, it just helps to kind of defray that. But you've got to give them the chance. You gotta, if ignoring those kinds of folks is really risky. Uh, one guy wanted to let you know that he, f he looks terrible in his new purple uniform. <laughs> Evidently, one of those employees is in the room right now. <laughs> uh, he looks terrible in his new uniform. I can promise you you're not in that uniform. I'd recognize you. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. Uh, please remember to fill out your surveys, and there is an electronic survey in the conference I.O. system. See you in June.